Everybody, it's good to see you. Merry Christmas. Uh, hey, if you're new, welcome. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here. I got to meet some new friends already today. It's cool. And um, you, you all know that we're one church that meets in lots of rainy locations uh, this morning. And so we just like to be friendly. Can you help me be friendly and welcome people in? We just say hello to everybody on the other side of the camera. Hey, everybody at the campuses. Bunch of people online. You soft people online, we're glad you're here with us as well. So, hey, no, seriously, we're glad you're with us today. Before we jump in today, I wanted to give you some good news and a little bit of an update, because if you've been hanging around, as you know, uh, you just heard, um, we, we did this thing called Unstoppable Good, and we, we did a revisit at one year. It's a two-year thing where we're kind of focusing on intensified spiritual growth and increased generosity to help us knock out like 15 really amazing objectives to try to just do more ministry um, in the area. So we did this one-year revisit, and I wanted to give you exciting news and update about all of that, okay? So here's, here's the news. Over uh, 300 new households uh, made commitments for unstoppable good, which translates to about 1,000 new people who just said, you know what, for the last year of this thing, we're in, we're with you. So just that's awesome news. So welcome. We're, we're glad you're, you're with us, and we need you for sure. Um, also, this is cool, about 150, new, uh, 150 households that had already made commitments were able, by God's grace, to increase their commitment. So it's kind of like a new commitment that way. That represents another 500 people that are like, hey, we're going to do more than we had previously planned. That's awesome, which leaves like thousands of the rest of us to, who are just saying, you know what, I was already in, I'm going to finish strong, which means that expected gifts and uh, you know, commitments that have been made over the two-year total should come up to about $31.5 million, and we're going to need every bit of it for the big objectives that God has given us to do. And I just think that's all really, really good news, and we need some good news because there's so much bad out there. There's so much that's bad for kids these days, and so much that's bad for mental health, and there's so much that's bad for young adults and what have you, and we get to be part of something that's really, really good. So whatever part you're playing in that through your prayers, your giving, your, 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 your being here, your inviting, just thank you. Keep, let's finish strong. Let's do what we need to do this last year. If you haven't started you know, in on that, now's the start line. Let's go. And um, just wanted to bring you that update so we were following up, okay? Well, one of the things that's also good around here is we love seeing how people very often will make a move from knowing about Jesus to like knowing Jesus. And we like to talk about that difference because there's a lot of people who know about Jesus, right? But knowing Jesus is very different. And, and, and no one's life has ever been changed because they knew some stuff about Jesus, right? No one's ever received the forgiveness of sins. No one's ever like had strength to make it through a tough patch because they knew about Jesus. But all that stuff and so much more is available when we come to recognize that Jesus is who he said he is and receive in a personal, relational way that Jesus. And that's what this series is aimed to help us do. We're calling it What Child Is This? Because we know that at the center of the Christmas story, it's about a child, but what kind of child? And so we're turning to this prophet named Isaiah. Everybody say Isaiah. 
He wrote 700 years before Jesus was actually born with exact precision and a, a, a beautiful kind of hint and pointing forward to who the Messiah would be. He keeps saying, he, he's, he's talking to God's people and he's like, well, you got to straighten up and fly right. He has lots of prophetic things to say, but mostly what he's trying to do is provide hope. And he says, someone is coming. Someone is, God is sending someone and it's just a, it's a beautiful sort of hope-filled message that he gives. He says, I know you're walking in darkness now. I know it's gloomy and dreary, but there's a day coming when someone's coming and, and God's going God's to show up in person. And then he begins to tell us that it, it's a child and we should be looking for a child. Chapter 9, verse 2 says it this way. Um, this is the prophet. The people walking in darkness, he says, will be able to say, hey, we've seen a great light finally. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then Jesus showed up as that light and said, I'm the someone that the prophet was talking about. And verse 6, it says that for to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And then it says this, say it with me, and he will be called, when this child, when this someone shows up, what will he be? What will he do? What difference will he make? Here, say it with me. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And the difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus is that this prophetic word is something that's more than just stuff you know about or heard about, but that in your life, Jesus becomes something of a wonderful counselor for you, like bringing truth and wisdom to your life. And he becomes a mighty God that's bigger than anything you are facing. And, and, he, and he becomes an everlasting father, meaning that when everything's falling apart, you know he's not going anywhere. And he becomes your prince of peace. Like you're able to cling to a peace that you can't explain, even though things around you, you know, may be divided and broken. Now last week, we kind of started in on the first of those four descriptions. We dove in pretty deep to wonderful counselor, right? And if you missed it, you got to check it out because we all need it. We kind of said there's a kind of key questions that um, we need to think about, and that is, um, like, who are you talking to and who are you listening to? Because we're, we, we all have voices that are dominant in, in our lives, and we have a wonderful counselor in Jesus, and there's so much that we unpacked last week. But we're, we got to move forward today to help us better get our arms around this Jesus so what do you suppose we're going to talk about today? Jesus is also not just wonderful counselor, but what? Mighty God. I've shared this quote with you before. It's from A.W. Tozer. He says, What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Ponder that for a moment. Like the image in your mind of, of what God is like determines so much about your ethics, your morals, how you treat people, what you think the purpose of life is, how you deal with sorrow, hardship, or how you look at problems and pain in the world. Everything, everything is shaped by our picture of God. And if I can be so bold, what I want to suggest today is that if you're a normal person, if you are a typical Christian, if you are an average human, you know what? Your God is too small. Your God is way too small. 
Because Jesus comes among us, not just as a tiny baby, he comes among us as mighty God. And here's what our hope is today, and it's very, very bold. But our hope is honestly that over the next few minutes, your view of God and mine, that our view of God would be blown out of the water, would be expanded significantly to get closer to what is accurate reality instead of the scaled-down, tame, safe, domesticated, small, easily controlled, easily understood, manageable God that some of us have in our lives, which is why we feel so cruddy all the time and worry about stuff so much because our God is too small. Instead today, what if we expanded it closer to what Isaiah had in mind when he said there's someone coming who will be known as what? Mighty God. Is your God too small? You know, when your God is too small, you start looking at things and trying to evaluate whether he can pull this off or not. You start playing the odds like, you know, it's, I don't know, is this a big one or a hard one? For, I don't know. This is difficult, you know. But listen, even the God of the Bible, even, well, if there's one thing we learn all through Scripture is that even when odds seem impossible, it doesn't matter if there are 5,000 people and all you have is five loaves and two fish. It doesn't matter how big the giant is and how little the boy is. It doesn't matter how nasty the storm is or how many lions are in the den, how hot the fire is or how dead someone is. Those things aren't the issue. The issue is this. How big is your God? And the Bible's answer is, oh, he's big. He's the mighty God. The word is omnipotent that theologians use. It means that there's nothing he can't do. Is that your God? Um, the word mighty is a, like an adjective in the English language and in the Old Testament when you see that phrase mighty God it's, it's actually kind of describing a kind of warrior God a mighty strong armed warrior God who shows up and fights for his people who rescues them out of slavery in Egypt who crushes the entire Egyptian army who overpowers the mighty Pharaoh it's that word El Shaddai in the Old Testament if you're familiar with that Hebrew word that's, that's the word for mighty one and the book of the Bible where it is found more than any other book is the book of Job because Job was a guy who got slapped around by life, had so much pain and sorrow and bad stuff happen in his life that it begins to overpower his whole thinking and he loses sight of how big God is because his problems are so big by comparison. It isn't that what happened to us. When pain hits you, sometimes it's all you can think about. And the bigger your problem, sometimes the smaller your God. And that's exactly what happens to Job. And it happens to us sometimes. Because what we do is we forget who God is and we start to think that God works for us like he's a servant of ours. And his job is to make my life easier and make me comfortable and happy. And then when life hits, as it does, like it did Job and like it does you and me all the time, we get mad at God. Like, what are you doing? You're screwing up here because my life isn't going how I want it to go. I thought that was your job to make everything go good for me. And so Job is so ticked off, he lays into God. He's like, what good is this? And then his wife, she's a real 
pick me up. She comes along. He's sitting in despair on the edge of a pile of poop, it says. He's literally on a dung heap. And she says, oh, why don't you just curse God and die? Thank you, honey. I mean, that's a real pick-me-up. But she's saying what a lot of people today actually are saying. Yeah, I mean, what good is God? Why don't we just give up? Because God isn't doing what I would do if I were God. God's not doing what I want him to do. And we begin to think in these ways and our problems just when they loom large and our pain is big, our God shrinks down to size. And so he goes after God. He lets him have it and says, you're falling down on the job. And, and, and God listens for several chapters. And then at the end of this whole thing, you come to the end of the book of Job and God says, all right, that's enough, Job. Put your big boy pants on and listen up. Sit down. Who is this who's darkening my counsel with words without knowledge? Who, 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 what's your name again? Speak up. I know you've been asking me a lot of questions, but I've got a few questions for you, Job, okay? Just listen for a minute. Let me ask you a question. When I was setting the foundations of the world in place, um, where were you exactly? Excuse me, I can't hear you. Or when I was setting the stars in the sky and putting them on their courses as they move about, um, where, where exactly were you? Because I looked around. I don't recall seeing you anywhere, Job. Were you there that day? Because I, I don't think so. You know, look at Orion sitting in the sky. See his big belt there? I can unbuckle the belt of Orion. Can you do that? Because I can. You see that whale out in the ocean? I can catch it with a seven-pound test line, floor it around and throw it back. Can you do that? Because I can. And God grills him like this over and over and over again. And all of a sudden, through the whole conversation, God keeps growing to this grandeur and this largeness and Job's problems and his whole life start to shrink by comparison. And that perspective in the, in the face of the grandeur and the majesty of a mighty God actually helps Job. And you know what he does? He puts his hand over his mouth. He says, I should not have spoken as I did before the Almighty God. The way God comes sometimes in the middle of our pain and our huge problems is not with cute little answers for how it all makes sense, but he comes with himself. And even in the middle of our pain, you have a mighty God who is with us. And what we need to see just at this moment is this, like, do you have a sense of awe before Almighty God? Like, do you ever just kind of fall silent or get a tear in your eye or a lump in your throat at the grandeur and the goodness of God? Because if we lose that, we lose God. We no longer have a God who can save us. So we just construct a little neat little religion with some things that we're in charge of instead of a mighty God. And the Bible wants to show us that the same power that God showed up with and unleashed to create everything that is was invested in that baby in a manger in Bethlehem. And then our God demonstrated that as he grew to be that Jesus of Nazareth who then miracle after miracle manifested was to show I'm the mighty God. Here I am. 
Remember at the beginning, God created into the darkness and the chaos and the disorder. With a word, God spoke. He's so mighty, he speaks. He says, let there be light. And there was light and order and beauty and creation. And, and everything changed because of the power of mighty God. And then Isaiah says, that mighty God's coming among us and is a child. And then the child came and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You follow me, you walk, you'll never walk in darkness. And then he went up to a blind man one day and spoke into his blindness and said, as if a little micro reenactment of creation said, let there be light. And that man could see. And bells and whistles started going off and people started connecting the dots that the same God of creation who said, let there be light, could still bring light to us. He went into Lazarus's tomb and he said, let there be light. And in that dark cave of disorder and chaos came life, dead man walking, Lazarus, a little sneak peek of what would happen with Jesus himself after he went to the cross, laid down his authority, laid down his grandeur and humbly submitted to a cross. And then as he's lying on Good Friday in a dark cave, what does God say? speaks into the darkness of Good Friday and says what? Let there be light and beauty and order again and life. And Jesus says, if you have me, you have life. That same God is still speaking into darkness and chaos and disorder today. That same might that was there at creation showed up in the baby, showed up in the man, and now is at work in the universe. Colossians 1 says, Jesus is the one through whom, by whom, and for whom all things that were made were made. And he holds everything together today, which means he holds your life and mine together. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Everything that was made was made through him. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, Almighty God, full of grace and truth. So the Bible's trying to help us see that this 700-year prophecy came true in Jesus. And every single thing that Jesus did, whether it's feeding the 5,000 or um, healing lepers or, or raising the dead, it's all just a way of saying that someone is here. It's Jesus. He's the mighty God. And then in a surprising twist, like say the Gospel of John shows us all these miracles, how mighty Jesus is. And then he takes his brushes after he's painted that picture and he washes out his brushes and he comes back with a different color palette. And all of a sudden in John 13, he paints a picture of Jesus who now is bending down and washing feet and humbling himself into the form of a servant and putting all of his power aside and putting his might aside for a bit as his grandeur takes a back seat to his willingness to offer his whole life for us. And we see that the mighty God that Isaiah told about is also the suffering servant that he told about. So what does all this mean? It means if you're looking for a nice, comfortable, little, safe God that you can keep in your hip pocket and pull out like a self-help book, you know, from Barnes & Noble when it's convenient for you, you're looking for a little putty cat God, Stay as far away from biblical Christianity as you can because this is not the religion for you. Because it's, it's mind-blowing. It, it's hard to even, it's like trying to get the Pacific Ocean in a teacup. This mighty God becomes a baby who then does these miracles, who then gives his life, and it's the same God. And he's not just here to be our little genie in a bottle. He's the one that the wise men recognized. They fell on their knees and just worshipped him. How big is your God? Because if he's big enough to do all of that, he's big enough 
to handle. He's able to handle what you're going through. And he's able to save us. And the Bible says that this same God that showed up at creation with so much power and showed up in Jesus, manifested in Jesus, now is able and wants to share that power in your life in a daily way so you can access that power so that when you're up against a storm in your life, the same Jesus can, can calm that storm. And when you have a period where you're walking in darkness, where life is just hard and horrible, it's the same God that can speak light into it. He's able. And remember, it doesn't matter how strong your faith is. A lot of us think, oh, we've got to be these great, strong Christians. I don't know if I'm a good enough Christian. I don't know if I have enough faith. It's not about you. I don't know whoever made up that thing have great faith because it's not about that. The Bible says, no, no, no. Jesus teaches all you need is a faith like the size of a mustard, like a little poppy seed. That's all you need. Because it's not about you being great and having mighty faith. It's about you having faith in a great and mighty God. Your faith is only as good as the object you put your faith in. And the faith is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about a church. It's about almighty God. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and he shall be called mighty God. How big is your God? Is your God too small? My friend Matt says, if your image of Jesus is closer to Joel Osteen than Chuck Norris, you got a problem. Nothing against Joel Osteen. I'm sure he's a nice guy, but if I have a fight that I'm facing, I ain't calling him. So if you're bored in your Christian life, your God is too small. If you're stuck in sin and you don't think it matters how you live, your God's too small. If you think the giant that you're facing is too big. If the lions in the den that you're living with is just too much, if you think your morals and your ethics and all that it, it won't matter because you just have a tiny little deity who can be mocked, your God's too small. If you become unglued when something bad happens, when the election that's coming has just got you completely about ready to you know, pop your brain off, if you've had a tragic loss, you've suffered abuse, you've suffered divorce, you've had something go wrong in your life and you think, that's it for me. Everything's completely over. This is too bad. Or you've got an addiction you can't beat. Or you think generosity is like too much to ask because it's too scary. Or you're afraid of dying. You need to know a God who's big enough like Jesus who says, I'm the Alpha and Omega and I hold the keys of death and hell in my hands. I've been there and back. Take my hand, I'll lead you through because that's the kind of God that Isaiah told about. It's the kind of, when we say, what child is this? That's the child. He's a mighty God. If Christ is as great and mighty as Scripture tells us, then our problems are not as great and mighty as our fears tell us. Anybody listening to me today? Hello. If you don't know that, Jesus... Your God is too small. So we got to get God out of the box. Now, Isaiah chapter 40 is trying to help us see a few chapters later how big God is. He says, oh, he holds the earth in the, in the hollow of his hand. The world rulers are like little dust on the scales. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy. You know, he's like the nations are a drop in the bucket. He's, trying, he's straining at words. He says in, in verse 18, Isaiah 40, verse 18, he says, with whom then can you compare God? I, I need an analogy to help us get how big God is. To what image would you liken him? He says over in verse 26, he says, how about we lift up our eyes then and look to the heavens and ask ourselves like, like you taught Job, who created all these? 
He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls each of them by name because of his great power and what? Mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. He directs our attention heavenward. What if we, what if we said, let's be honest, maybe our God is too small and we went to the Bible to say, how could we fix that? And, and just took the advice of the Bible. Do you have a couple minutes right now? Are you guys good? It's raining outside anyway. You don't want to go to your car. What if we just did what he said and looked up to the heavens? What if we looked at some stars? Okay, I'll take that as a yes. There's only one star in our solar system, and it's called... Yeah, it's been a long time for some of you, hasn't it, since you took that class. Yeah, it's called the sun. How far away is the sun? from planet Earth? Long ways. Good answer. 93 million miles. How hot is it? Really hot. Good answer. 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. The sun that lands on your shoulder not only makes you cry, but it left the sun eight minutes ago, traveling at how fast? Speed of light, which is what? 186,000 miles per second. I know I don't want to help you see how hot or how far it is. I want to help you see how big it is. How big is the sun? Big. How about this? It's a million times the size of Earth. I should hear pop sounds. Psalm 33:6. Get this. By the word of the Lord. Psalm 33, verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Isn't that cool? Like it's a, it's a poetic picture to say that God is a star-breathing God. That's how mighty he is. We can't get any closer than 93 million miles, but God's like, <laughs> now this will blow your mind. If the earth were the size of a golf ball, the, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter, just to put that in perspective. Okay, here's a golf ball. Can you find yourself? Maybe you might have to get a little close up on that. Can you see yourself? Maybe right in there in that little dimple, there's you, and there's your problem. Now, I've asked them to put, this is 15 feet on this screen. This is 15 feet. So, all right, now can you still see your problem? I mean, you're, you're, can you still see you? Can you... Can you even see the earth? Wow. If the earth were the size of a golf ball, it would be 15 feet in diameter, this sun would be. It's so big you could fit 960,000 earths inside the sun. That's enough golf balls to fill a school bus. So are you tracking with me? This is a massive star, and it is just one of hundreds of billions of stars, just in our little Milky Way galaxy, which is our little cul-de-sac of the cosmos that God breathes out. What a mighty God. I don't, I don't feel like I'm connecting, but we'll keep going. <laughs> Second, let me tell you about another star. I, I heard about this from a Pastor Louis Giglio, he, and some of you probably heard this. It's just like when I heard it, I said, I got to share this with these people. Because, because I want to tell you about Beetlejuice. Everybody say Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Yeah, crazy thing. Ready for this? Beetlejuice is twice the size. Now, you thought I was going to say of the sun? No. Twice the size of the earth's orbit around the sun. 
Hello. Say my sentence with me. If the earth were a golf ball, Beetlejuice would be the height of six Empire State Buildings stacked on top of one another. Have you seen the Empire State Building? People are like, oh, well, what's for lunch? It's like, come on. Here, all right, you have homework. Now you have homework. This Christmas, get a golf ball. One of you can borrow mine. Drive to New York City with your friends. Find parking. That's not the hard part. Take the golf ball. Put it on the sidewalk right outside the Empire State Building. Go across the street a ways and look up and let your eyes go all the way up to the very tippy top of the Empire State Building. And then in your mind, put one, two, three, four, five more Empire State Buildings on top of that. And then let your eyes come all the way back down to your problem. I mean, to the golf ball, to the earth. You could fit 252 trillion earths inside Beetlejuice. If the earth were a golf ball, you could fill up Ravens Stadium 3,000 times. Thank you, somebody. (laughs) When I heard that, it was like, I think I need to change the way I pray because I've been like informing God, telling God, encouraging God, counseling God, reminding God of stuff he clearly doesn't understand. There's a third star called Musifi, and some of you are like, please stop. <laughs> no, I'm not going to stop. Musifi, not Mufasa, not Rafiki. This is Musifi. Everybody say Musifi. It looks small on that back screen, but it's a long ways away. That's why it looks small. It's only 3,000 light years away, which means just get in your car after church today. Get up to about 186,000 miles a second, and then just drive for 3,000 years, and you'll be there. Okay? We look up and we say, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder. It's like, no, no, we know. Hubble Telescope has told us what they are. These massive, this used to be called the Herschel's Garnet Star. Check it out. If the earth were a golf ball, hello, wake up. (laughs) If the earth were a golf ball, Musifi would be the width of two Golden Gate bridges end to end. I was at the Golden Gate Bridge Wednesday before Thanksgiving of this year. Our son Andrew, his wife Nicole, lived there. We got to visit them. We got in the car, started driving across the bridge. We're like, are we still on this bridge? It's like half an hour later. It's like, we're still going over the bridge. It's just ridiculous. So I know this is getting costly, but you have to fly next from New York all the way to San Fran. You take your golf ball with you. You put it at the beginning of the bridge. Then you drive across the bridge. It'll take you a while. Go over to Oakland and then get up on a high thing and look back at not only the entire Golden Gate Bridge but another one. Then go back and find your golf ball and your problem and you'll have the beginning of understanding what it's like with the earth compared to Musifi. Are you tracking? This is big. It's really, really, really big. And this is just one of the stars... And there are hundreds of billions of stars just in our little galaxy called the Milky Way in our corner of the cosmos. Musifi is so big, you could put 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside one of those stars. Now, I know I don't expect you to be impressed because none of you have any idea what a quadrillion is. So we need a moment. Do you have a moment? 
Okay, good. We, we know how big a million is, right? It's big, pretty big. Now take a million and multiply it times a thousand. That's a billion. Billion's a big number, y'all. Then you take a billion and you multiply that times a thousand. And you know what you got? A trillion. Now you take a trillion and you multiply that times 1,000. This will change your life if you can get your head around this. A million seconds ago, 12 days ago, that's a lot of seconds. Adds up. That's a lot of seconds, 12 seconds. But how about a billion seconds ago? You're like, oh, I bet that was a couple of months ago, right? No, how about 1980? That's a billion seconds ago, okay? It's a lot bigger than a million. What about a trillion seconds ago? Some of you are like, hmm, 1800s? Christopher Columbus? No. You go back a trillion seconds, you're in the year 29,700 B.C. That's a trillion seconds ago. How big is a quadrillion seconds ago? We're now to the year 30,800,000 B.C. It's that many years ago. That's a quadrillion seconds. Can I get an amen? It's a large number. Musifi is so big, you could put 2.7 quadrillion earths inside of that one star, but it's not even the biggest in our galaxy. Scientists have discovered a bigger star, and you're like, stop. I'm like, no, no, because I got to tell you about one more, Canis Major. Now, I'm not a linguist. Canis, major, Canis Majoris. I think it means big dog. I'm not sure, but I think so, because it is a big dog star. The little purple glow on the screen there, but if the earth... We're a golf ball. Canis Majoris would be the height of Mount Everest. So I'm sorry it's getting spendy, but you have to go now from San Francisco and fly to Kathmandu, Nepal, and then you get a Sherpa to carry your stuff to the top where you're six miles above sea level, the highest point on planet Earth, and get your golf ball out and with your shaking, freezing hands, look at it, look down, look around, and you will now have an idea of how big this one star is. You know how big a quadrillion is? You, you could fit seven quadrillion Earths inside of that one star. That's enough Earths. That's enough Earths to cover the whole state of Texas with golf balls to a, to a depth of 22 inches deep. So find your golf ball that is planet Earth and your little place on it I think what the Bible wants is for us to have some perspective when it says maybe we just need to look up to get an idea of how big God is. Can we just take a moment like Job to get some perspective? Let's, let's watch this. So here's some of the planets. There's Mercury and Mars. And there's Venus and now Earth, the favored planet, the one with 8 billion or so people, every one of whom Jesus died for. And these other planets dwarfing the favored planet, and you see Saturn and Jupiter, and then some of the larger luminary bodies, and now there's the sun. The earth's completely out of view at this point. This is the star from where we get satellite radio, and this is... The inspiration for 70s cars. We didn't talk about Arcturus or Regal, but we did talk about Beetlejuice. 
and there's Canis Majoris. I want to tell you about my problem, but I'm, I'm just going to do this for a minute. Isn't it interesting how sin shrinks God down in our minds, puffs ourself up in our own estimation, but a glance at the universe that God created resizes everything in a heartbeat. And then you realize that we're worshiping a great big mighty God who's unrivaled and whose power and majesty and grandeur and honor and power is none like him. That's the baby, mighty God. We're the ones who are small and weak and fragile. And here's the miracle, that not just is this God capable of creating this great big universe, but then he creates you and me, and he marks us with his own image. Every single one of us created fearfully and wonderfully in the image of this God. So we dial back to the beginning and we get rid of the, the, the telescope and we use our microscope to remember that at the beginning, one cell from your mom and one cell from your dad found each other. There's a story there, but that's enough. And, and then each one carries 23 chromosomes, one from your mom carrying half of her DNA, one from your dad carrying half of that, and the chromosomes matched up and it formed a new DNA code. And there were four characters that wrote that DNA code code, which is three billion characters long, if we spread it out, your DNA, your human genome, and spread it out, it tells exactly who you were ordained by God to be. And that one little cell, six feet of DNA, and if I read every character one by one, morning, day, morning and night, it would take me 86 years just to read that one cell's DNA, character by character, because it's a description of you. It's amazing. And then that one cell set out to build the model that was all cryptid and scripted right inside of that DNA. And you've come a long way. Here you are at three days old on the head of a pin, 16-cell embryo at incredible magnification. And those 16 cells that were you became the 75 cells, 75 trillion cells that are you today and every one of them carries every one of those cells in you carries the three billion characters of your DNA code if we took all the DNA in you today and stretched it out it would be enough to go to the moon and back 178,000 times and every single one of them contains the exact unique DNA code that is you because you are not an accident the same creator who made Canis Majoris created you and me. And Isaiah says he's Emmanuel. He's God right here with us. In fact, he'll come among us as one of these gods. And this mighty God is doing miracles from the moment you're born. From, from five months old. Remember the good old days? Wasn't that easy back then? But what you might not remember is that day when a million optic nerve endings left the optic nerve center of your brain. And they were looking for a million optic nerve endings that had left your eye and that million had to meet the million exactly right and find their exact right partner and if that million met the million guess what you had sight and anyone will tell you who knows about this stuff that the human eye is the most technologically advanced thing on the planet except it didn't do any good for you to have sight because you had a little flap of skin that had grown over there over the top of your eyeball but as one textbook put it miraculously and mysteriously, at about the sixth month, a little cutting device appeared. 
and it perfectly and precisely in a laser-like way made a little slit in that skin so that it could be pulled back as if God had said, let there be light. And you had eyelids for the first time because you're fearfully and wonderfully made. The God who made the heavens fashioned you and he knows your name and he knows the hairs on your head and he's made you a promise that if you will trust in him, you will hold his hand. He will carry you through all the days of your life. He's a universe-making God, but he's intimately concerned with the details of your life. This Jesus is with us. He's near us. He's no minor God. He's a major, mighty God. And the cross that stands in history is proof that the star-breather God became the sin-bearer God for us. The universe-maker became your Savior. And the cross is proof that life will not always be easy, that not every day is going to go great, or that everything's going to work out perfectly, you know, because you have no pain, no sorrow, no circumstances that are ever hard. It's a promise, though, that this God has purposes and plans that cannot be denied, because why? He's the mighty God. How big is your God? How big is your God? The whole world is in his hands and this moment is in his hands and your life is in his hands. So Isaiah, when he says mighty God, goes on in chapter 40 to say, I want you to know how big this God is. They had forgotten about it. And we do too because some of us right now today, we want to know, this is all great, Ben, but I'm in a bind right now. I am, I'm at my end. How big is this God? Can he do something to help me right in this moment? And Isaiah says, oh, haven't you heard? Don't you know that this God, this star-breathing God is so big no one can fathom? And look what he loves to do. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29. He gives what? Strength. Because some of us are weary. And he increases power because some of us are weak because even you know youths even when you're young you get tired and weary young men they stumble and fall but then he says those who hope those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength you know what that word wait means hope in the Lord it means it means that I'm going to stand even in the midst of the hard stuff and I'm not going to give up on God because I know that even though my circumstances look bad right now, I believe he's large, I believe he's in charge and I'm going to trust him with my life just like Jesus did on the cross when God put his mighty hand into that tomb and he's going to do it in my life. I don't know when, I don't know how. I'm not just going to complain until I get my way. I'm going to say I believe in this almighty God and you know what? To those he will renew their strength and when you need to fly it'll feel like you're on eagle's wings and when you need to mount up and run you'll be able to run in ways you never understood why. And when you need to walk and need to take one more step the God who is mighty will help you take that step. He'll help you take that step. Let's pray. God, we pray that you will help us to expand our minds a little closer to the image of God that you actually are and that we would see Jesus as the mighty God, the one now to whom is able to do immeasurably more than anything we would ask or imagine. Beyond all of that, now to him be glory and praise and honor now and forever. And all God's people said,